Number one on Amazon, or at least for like one category. I saw like we're all number one in something, Neville. <laughs> <laughs> one idea I had for marketing, kind of like a marketing hack for the book. Yeah, was like look at everyone on YouTube who's got like a bookshelf, and then just send them a copy of the book. And I'm like, hey, just all I don't even have to read it. Just put it up in your bookshelf. And then people are like kind of seeing it in all these different videos in the background on these books. What if instead of sponsoring one newsletter, you pay someone five grand and be like, just put this on your bookshelf. It's in yeah. every, every episode. I think it's great. Idea. And because it's so like unique colored, like the, the no one has this color, right? No Is that why you did it? Is that why you picked the color? So the story behind, dude, this, let me show you because it's crazy. So right. this, so when we did this book, we first ran Facebook ads. So we had 50 different book covers. Mm -hmm. You know the story? You know, so for, for, the, for, for, the, for, the, for the people, for the people. So here's like different book covers. So you can see like, this is the, the V1 of the book covers. Uh, yeah. So it was like. Oh, that one looks similar, but like a different color. Yeah. So this one also you can see, uh, I'll, I'll share, I'll send you these files so you can check it out. So it's like dollar sign, this, this one. So we took all of these. There's one that's a taco with money. <laughs> and what's hard is that what you have an opinion on may not always be true. And I've made so many intuition decisions that were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think we think like, oh, intuition. Like, I think this looks better. Do you post about this? No. This would be good stuff to post about. Oh, uh, yeah. I think eventually we will. So we took 50. Uh-huh. Ran them through Facebook ads, each individually to India. Yeah. So I try to find your family members. <laughs> <laughs> and so each of these, we just kind of was looking just for the CTR. And because India, the, the clicks were the clicks and the chicks the clicks were cheap. Cheap, yeah. The clicks were cheap, so very quickly this one was actually the winner. Hmm. And I was like, because it's it, people ask me, what's I can kind of see why because I'm looking at it on a small little phone, and that's the one that one you just see what's going on. Everything else is like looks generic, like the dollar sign, or it's just text that blends in. I literally can't read any of this, but I can see that snapping well, thing. That's actually funny you said that. So. As I did all this whole, the marketing and a lot of stuff behind the scenes is what's almost as interesting as like the final product because it's literally how I run AppSumo in these yeah. businesses. So I was talking to people who've done it and gotten advice. So if you have the book super far, just look, what, do you, can, what does it say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Million Dollar Weekend, you can read it. No so kidding, originally yeah. though, look how small the font is. Yeah, it's tiny. So I was talking to Dan Martell and he's like, look at my book in the background. Can you read it from far? I'm like, yeah, it's like, make your title, make your title bigger. That book, the one thing, it's like the one thing. And you're like, all right, I see that thing everywhere. Yeah. And people say you can't judge a book by its cover. Yeah, but isn't that like. That's literally how you sell a book. <laughs> it's a cover. I think that's like a lesson to be learned. Like it means like don't judge someone until you've really met them. But you have to judge people and judge things on based on face value. You go to a bookstore and there's like 10,000 books. You got to judge it by its cover a little you, bit. I mean, we look at people and we think attractive. Or I was thinking about it. Recently. Or they look at you and think. Above average, good looking. <laughs> in the Jew category, I'm a 10. In the normal people category, I'm like a five and a half, six. Hard seven, depending on the geography. Uh, in the Jew category. Jew yeah. category, I'm maybe nine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, going down. I'm a hard 10. So we, so we got here. Then we tested colors on it. So we tied like green, yellow, blue. This is actually just crazy. Um, so we did 50 different covers. This is like other ones we did. I wanted like cool designers. Again, that looks kind of cool. It looks super cool. Million Dollar Weekend. It's on a calendar. Yeah. But again, this didn't test this, the snapping finger thing, which is like, I don't know. People don't know what it means. I'd say, I guess fast. Um, the, the other one looked a little bit more graffiti-ish, a little more. Raw. Uh, yeah. Like kind of like Nick Gray. So then what we did is then we tested all the colors. So we tested the colors of the rainbow, Roy G. Biv, and blue, yellow, green were equal. In terms of the impact. And also, it's also your personal preference. All my brand has always been green. 
Yeah. Not because of money. I don't know. It's, it's okay, dork. Yeah. My yeah. eyes are green. Oh, money's green. I like the color green. This actually was a game changer. So then we mocked it up. Do you know seen this stuff? We mocked it up in all the bookstores mm-hmm. in the business category. Mm-hmm. Can you see the book really quickly? That one? Yeah. yeah. You can kind of see it, but it's a little, but there's a blue book, blue book, blue book, blue book, blue book, blue book. Then we tried yellow. Let me see. Yellow. Guess what? There's a lot of yellow business books. Yeah. There's a lot. A lot of yellow. Dummies for dummies. That whole thing's yellow. Exactly. All exactly. those. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, let's try green. Mmm, that does stand out. It so stands out. It's like such an obvious thing. W- wasn't this the Tim Ferriss thing that he did? He's just he started just putting it in bookstores. And remember, he he tried it out with different colors, the blank book. Do you remember know. this? I don't know. I can see him. This doing is it. this is what he did for four hour work week before he became big as an author. He did something similar, except actually printed these out and put it in a bookstore. Well, what's funny? So this is a mock up. This is totally fake. Yeah. And so two weeks ago, I went to a bookstore and put it in a store to mm-hmm. see how it actually feel. I was in a Nashville airport. And it's funny how much it actually stands out. It does. And then I put it in a business section as well. Like it really stands out. Yeah. And so this is the thing I think people miss about success. They think Tim is lucky or they think James Clear is lucky. And they're like, I'm as good as him. And one, I would say most people are actually better than they realize is what I've noticed is that they're like, oh, well, no, you're pretty ordinary. And yeah, maybe I'm a little bit more motivated or a little bit more aggressive potentially, but they're actually a lot more work in the back end that people never see. Yeah. They never really They're methodical about it. Yeah. And the, the fact that they've, James Clear tested 300 covers. That's the reason I tested so many. Damn. James Clear tested his subtitle. James Clear was intentional about his first chapter. Mm-hmm. And people were like, oh, yeah, I guess it's, yeah, it's a pretty good book. I'm like, do you know how many books are there about habits? <laughs> <laughs> it's not. And, and is it luck? Yeah, but it's also he did a lot of work in the back end to validate to make sure as he was doing this thing that there was everything was stacked in his favor for it to succeed. And I think that's missed on frankly all all content in general. That's what he also, I, he, you could also say that he also like blogged every day for like the past like five years. He was built. He was way ahead of the email list game. He was I, I feel he was now. very early on the email list and, and aggressively growing a list. I've He's, been having this this wonder where if you make something people a product something people really want, mm-hmm. but you tell no one, what happens then? And then trying to like play that scenario out. I don't know the final answer there, but it's an interesting thought, right? Like, cause I think what most people do, if you create a great thumbnail, but the video sucks, mm-hmm. no one's going to watch it. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you created a bomb video and a bad thumbnail or you don't get it out there, is it something that people will magically just find? I think it depends on how good the product is. There's probably a sliding scale. For example, let's say in a vacuum, you invent ChatGPT and you just release it and it goes on product hunt and goes viral. It would probably do really well, right? But I think if you like, I remember like just like internet marketers would have like a service where you upload an image and it would fake a book, right? It would make a mock-up of a book. We We're just that. talking about that. Yeah. Box shot King and like all these yeah. old school ones. That is not the most groundbreaking product, but if you're a good marketer, you can make it happen. So I think it just depends on how good the product is. If it's like an, or if it's just like a book, maybe you do need some uh, yeah. marketing magic behind it. Well, I think most people are a little shy and then they also haven't found something that people are really excited about. Right, like I think about some of our old products and it was just like, it wasn't really hard to sell them. And maybe because it was early to courses and material, but it was also something people were like, holy shit, like I can make the Sumo Business Blueprint. That was good. I mean, copywriting course. Copyright. I mean, that's now a seven figure business. But then we tried the uh, Sumo Diet course. That one, the biggest <laughs> flop of all time. <laughs> Turns out not one person asked us how to lose weight and we made a whole product out of it. Of course, that was probably my, my that was probably no, my I decision. Think you get, you get, I, I've been really talking, I talked to Chris Williamson, the interesting guy. There's a success bias where just because you're successful, things that like you don't forget, you forget how hard it was to get there sometimes. Yeah. And you think that everything you do is just going to be successful. And it's like, oh, 
that's gonna get humbled sometimes. You know what? Whenever I read Twitter and stuff, I don't get peeved about it because I get why people do it. But when they say like this person makes twenty five thousand a month, I'm like, they make twenty five thousand a month steadily every month all the time. Like who who does that? No one. There's no one unless you work a job that makes steady income like that. And it's always just funny like that the the bias that you see that you don't think like that person ever had a down month. There's probably months where that person lost money. Well, I think that's another concept I've been. I was reflecting on this morning. Well, one, I think if you have a product, you have to make sure if people want it, I also think, why not tell more people about it? Why not put it in the hands of people? But I, I think to your other point is that you don't, to get to something that people want, you have to try a lot of things that they don't want. And so I was talking with Nick this morning in our, mm -hmm. in our meeting, and I was just going through all the AppSumo projects in the past five years that no one's ever heard of, like Sleek Bio, Email Badge, Shorty SMS, Hall Drop, Meet Fam, Sumo Market, I don't know if there's, there's probably a few more. King Sumo maybe sunsetted or something like that. It still still goes, but not it like. It makes like a thousand a day. Oh, okay, never mind. That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah. It's not bad for something that uh, we do not. There's, I think, half a support person on at that. But it's so many things we swing and swing and swing and swing to find Tidy Cow. Mm -hmm. Tidy Cow is doing $3,000 a day. And so I was like, okay, but you also have to kind of try a lot of things to find what people, the ideal customer really wants. So this relates to like the whole point of your book, like doing these quick MVPs. This is what you've been talking about for the last 20 years. I don't think there's anything changed actually in the message, <laughs> right? No, uh, I think it, it puts it together in a more linear format. Uh, it was like putting it together in like, what is this commonality of these? Is it seemingly random people that seem to succeed? And what is it about them that others can potentially copy? Yeah, because the technology changes. So like this book could have come out of the 70s. It still would have been roughly the same message. There would have been almost no difference other than the internet wouldn't be present. What was crazy about this, as we were putting together, is that it was a lot of it was based on, besides my experiences, it was based on the Tim Ferriss article. Mm -hmm. the How to Make a Million Dollar Weekend featuring Chihuahuas that went viral. And mm -hmm. it was like, oh shit, I guess I'm doing some things that others aren't doing. And then we put together a course, ultimately, which was Monthly 1K. Mm -hmm. But what was crazy, that course, Monthly 1K, I think it was... To, out in 2013. Mm -hmm. And so we started working on the book in 2020, 2021. The, the material was timeless. And so I do think, how do you write a book that's evergreen? How do you write a book, whether there's Etsy or Facebook or Craigslist, whatever one's changing, like what about the principles? So we, we were definitely thinking about that uh, as we were on the book. It almost seems kind of dumb where you're just like, make sure people want the thing you're about to sell. <laughs> <laughs> but but that is like the crux of it, right? Like if you if you you put it in ChatGPT, say summarize this in five words, it'll be like make sure people want it. Yeah, I, I did throw it in there. It was like start today, ask people, stick with it. That's it. I mean, if you think about the older I get, what I'm realizing is like name a cliche, and the more cliches there are, the more truth there is. I'm just like loving cliches these days. Journey is the destination. True, right? Make things people want. True. Do things that don't scale. True. What's the other cliches? Be good to your girlfriend. True. Be nice to your mommy. True. <laughs> do unto others as others will do unto you. Great. What's the other? What's the? My, by my favorite Jewish author, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> you know he's the best-selling self-published author of all time. Why? <laughs> you you might be number two, even if this does really well. No, this is traditionally published, but Jesus Christ is the only successful. <laughs> number one. Jesus Christ, number two, and Frank, number three, Noah Kagan. Yeah, How about that? That was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> All these cliches are true, yet I think we are not recognizing how do we experience them to believe them. Meaning, everyone knows make something people want. I don't think there's anything earth shattering with that. But then, how come everyone's making things that people don't want then? Like I even met a guy, no, sh no, no, no shade on him. I'll give him a his name is Sharath. He built a podcast guest research tool. So like what you have here, mm -hmm. twenty bucks a month, he would do it for you. Mm. Kind of cool, right? Cool. Like okay. great. Make something people want. Like, do you want to pay twenty dollars a month for that right now? 
Right there. I, I think about it. You think about it. That's a no. So if I bring you an extra thousand podcast listeners today, mm-hmm. would you pay $20 for that? Yeah. And they're qualified. Yeah. What's the difference? Well, I wanted one of them. <laughs> Make something people want. Like, again, I, I think it's trying to understand how do you know when someone wants something? Right? And it's when you're not having to convince them. It's when you're not having to, Neville, I need you to do this thing. Neville, come on, but what about this? It's like, no, I'm, I'm noticing what your behavior is. And I'm accelerating your behavior. Well, so uh, I like validating new projects every year. And and like most, like like anything, like you said, most fail, right? I was doing one where I was just like asking people, would you want me to write a newsletter? And okay, it just depends on the price. Have a newsletter? I have a newsletter also. Would you want me to write a newsletter for you? I, I, I just asked oh, people like that. I, I put it like a newsletter agency. I put out right. a one page thing, said, sign up. Here's Here's what you do. What people actually, first of all, the people that want the newsletter are not really the ones that already have a good newsletter going. So you're going to have to start the whole thing from scratch by them and they would pay you very little money because they don't have money. The bigger newsletters would be like, well, I don't need you to write it. I'm already good at that, but how do I grow it? And that's actually where like, that's where the revenue could go. You get closer to the money. That's what people really want. You go to the big people who are already doing newsletters, have profitable newsletters and make them better. Yes. And it's just funny, whenever you look at the agencies out there that do this type of thing, the ones that are doing well, just focus on growth. They don't actually write anything. You're like, oh, that's interesting. That's what people want. That's what most people want. You can make a smaller end, you can make a lower end product on like writing it for people. Yes. But it has a ceiling on it. Well, I think what you said is the real key thing. You get closer to the money, right? Help people make more money or help them save money. Like I was talking to someone earlier today. He's like, how do you make more money in a job? I was like, well, you make more money for the company. Hmm. That's it. I know. Again, it's it's not necessarily complicated, but it's simple. And it's like, okay, how do I do that? Right. So how do you make more com- money for the company today? For AppSumo, can you get us another deal? Mm-hmm. Can you bring someone else to buy a product? Can you maybe help us with an affiliate? And if you do that, or by the way, if you don't work at AppSumo and you want to work here, bring us a deal. That's a great way to get a job with AppSumo. But, but you, a lot of times these answers, the, the right answer is so dumb. <sighs> it, it's, it, it's, it pains me, but the right answer is usually stupid and dumb and obvious and boring. And the wrong answers are more fun. The wrong answers are like, well, what if I buy this uh, new technology and this service and add this into there? Da, da, and you always think that's going to be the thing. But the reality is very, very stupid. I'm kind of curious why that is. Because even I see in, in online content today, there's like, here's a complicated flow to sell a customer. Right, like you're gonna do this to this to this. To this. Funnels, all that yeah, stuff, and it's so complicated. We tried so much of that at AppSumo, and it's like let's just send an email to the entire list. <laughs> and yeah. once in a while, we do some segmentation, which I wouldn't say it's overly sophisticated, but that's a fifty million dollar a year email marketing business or a business that we make through our email revenue. And it's pretty straightforward. I guess I'm curious why people want to believe that it's so complicated. I think do you, I wonder if people want to create that that gap. That's the content I've been reflecting on. Like, I think people that want to sell you something make you believe there's this disconnect of what you can do. So it can't be that simple. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's what that's where their value comes in. Mm-hmm. You have to have this complicated funnel. I don't know how to do it. And so they have to pay you. That's part of it. I also think like sometimes people see that stuff, complicated stuff for like a big company and they're like, oh, this is what works. But it's just like, that doesn't necessarily mean it's better or it's going to work for you. I think that also parallel now that we're talking about is when I interview people who we interviewed someone who's like VP of marketing at LinkedIn, or we've interviewed CEO of Udemy. And I'm like, oh, this, this woman is better than me. And then you meet them. You're like, maybe not. (laughs) Maybe they've had more reps. Maybe they've had more chance. Or maybe you're actually just as good, if not better than these people. 
by the way, that's a common thing when you follow someone on social media, especially a platform like Twitter X, where you just read their thoughts and then you see them on video sometimes and you're like, not as cool as I thought. <laughs> Pretty lame. Maybe they think that about us, but. Uh... No, we've been out here doing this for, for quite a while. But you say Twitter X? I just say Twitter X now. No, dude, Twitter. Mm, old school. No, I'm, I'm, I'm merging into X. I'm, I'm starting to like it more and more. At first, I was like, I'm always going to tw- call it Twitter. Then I started calling it Twitter slash X. Now I just go Twitter X. I think what's interesting a lot of times in business is that the, the companies do things that they kind of forget the customer. Like, you know, you see these brands like, we have a new logo. And I'm like, just give me a cheaper price. Like Airbnb, oh, go out and explore. I'm like, just take away cleaning fees. That's it. I don't need your logo. And again, I think people are disconnected from like what's the actual customer really want and all this stuff. Like, what do they want that they're excited to serve? Maybe it's viewing your content or reading your material or solving a problem that they have. Why'd you do a book? You got all this other shit. I, at the time, I didn't have as much shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at the time, COVID. So it was it was March of 2020. I remember it because COVID hit, and I started filming myself for YouTube, and I put out these videos, and I was like, I'm having fun with this. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm finally not doing it because others want it. I'm doing it because I want it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even getting a lot of attention. I think I had 30,000 subs. Each video is getting maybe 300 plus views. It was just I liked it, and then I thought the real answer in this moment was. The real answer, and our answers, by the way, always, they change over time, mm-hmm. depending on what narrative or what story we want to believe about ourselves. And at that time, I wanted to embrace something that was going to take a long time. Hmm. That was the, the real answer, is that I thought if I do a traditionally published book, which I've done two self-published, there's it's minimum going to take three years. And most of my career, I've done things that are one year, one month, or one day. So how do I commit and, and practice something that's going to take a lot longer, which this took four years, give or take. Uh, to, yeah, four years to finally come out. Damn, really? That long? It, March of 2020 is when I wrote the proposal. Well, I started believing I wanted to do it. And I've thought about a book off and on for years. Most people have dreams. Like, Yeah, we we basically got an advance if we wanted it. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? At the Harvard Club. Yeah. Um, I just didn't feel ready. I think a lot of people write books and I'm like, yeah, you need more time. Or I feel like I've helped enough people at, at, at some point. I was like, I've done this a lot. I think the other thing, a lot of times when I think about AppSumo, and I said this a few days ago, if there's a better place to promote your software, I'll shut down AppSumo. And there's just not right now. If you're a software creator for solopreneurs, like where else can you promote for free, get feedback, get customers, and get paid? There's not. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that with this book. Whereas if there was another book that could do what I could do that for your entrepreneurship in a short time without extra money, then I wouldn't write it. And I think 4-Hour Workweek is very good and very close to that. But there's just some areas around how do you get started, how do you get better at asking, and then maybe some of my ways of approaching it that I thought were unique enough. For me yeah, to... that was a different book. Four-hour work, it's, it's more about like just introducing the idea that you could work remotely and stuff like that, which at the time was groundbreaking, but yeah. Yeah, and so I, for me, there wasn't a book, like let's say your cousin, you've got like a hundred of them. <laughs> <laughs> I like I was like, I'm at a cousin's per- party. If you were gonna, if your cousin's like, Uncle Neville, <laughs> Can I, is that racist? No, I, I like it. Oh, okay. I'm well, Indian. I like it. I know. Well, I have to do, you know, as a published author now, I must, uh, you know, do proper do proper things. No, <laughs> Indian head nod. I love Indian people, by the way. They're going to take over the world. They're amazing. We're halfway they already, there. Yeah, you already took it over. Halfway there in population and CEO numbers. Yeah. yeah. Don't forget us. Yeah. Highest earning race in the United States, Indian males. All right. But coming back on the book, um, I, I think in terms of this book, so say your cousin comes to you and he's like, Hey, Uncle Neville, I would love, I'd love to be an entrepreneur like you and, and be rich like you and like be good looking like you and all these things. <laughs> What's the book you give them? Mm. There's not. 
maybe. <laughs> so I think for, for people out there, it's thinking about where, what in, you know, you said something as we, when we were starting the show. What can you, your book is number one in a category. Mm-hmm. And so maybe for people out there, what's the category you could be number one in? Mm-hmm. And make your own category. And ideally, like, that is a chance for you to be number one in something. I checked Amazon last night because I was looking at oh, the pre orders. Don't tell me I haven't. It was one. In a category. In some category. I don't remember what. Yeah. But but it was but it was up there with um some some pretty uh, who's who's the first one? It was all the top books you would you would expect. Oh, Peter Thiel's. Mm. So I think it was like Peter Thiel's book was like second and then another one was like fourth, and yours was the top. Yeah, I've avoided intentionally for the past month looking at the numbers. And I'm a numbers person, you know that. You see me with AppSumo, we have tons of Oh, I know, guys. yeah. And, you know, my marketing, a lot of numbers. I think what I've done here is I have a very clear goal, which initially goal was a thousand reviews, which we've already got a thousand people on the spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. I've literally just had a thousand people. And today I have the idea, I'm just going to get their phone numbers and text them. Yeah. And just be like, oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Like, hey, write a review. If you haven't had the book, I'm going to send it to you. They all pre ordered. And then I'll text them a reminder personally. I'm not going to use some like SMS AI service. Second goal is 25,000 sales, which would get a list or if anything, I think really what it does is gets momentum. It's kind of what we talked about. If you What's write, New York Times bestseller? You have to sell a certain amount in a certain stores, right? I don't think he'd mind me sharing, but a big shout out to Ali Abdul. I love this guy. I have his book right here, Feel Good Productivity. I think in his first week, hard copy sales US only is, I think he did 11,500. Mm-hmm. Do you think how fucking small that is, by the way? How crazy it is? You sell 11,000 books, you're on the, one of the top lists. It's kind of, it's also insane. Like his videos get millions of views and 11,000 books. I thought that was kind of crazy. And so my intent was, how do I do 25,000 in the first seven days? I put up a plan, execu- I'm executing on it right now. And so I'm trying to be mindful where I, that stuff just distracts me. And mm-hmm. It doesn't really do anything for me versus just like, let me just focus on the, the stuff I can control on my grind right now. It, do you, do you remember, so quick side note on this thing. We originally wanted to do a book when Sumo Business Blueprint came out. Yeah. And we're just like, well, we just turn this into a book. And we talked to a publisher, like a well-known publisher person. And we're just like, how much would we have to sell for, the, for you to be excited? They didn't care what the book was about. They didn't care. We just told them the numbers of the amount of courses we sold on AppSumo, which was more expensive than the book. Yeah. And it was the number was above 10,000. And they were like, yeah, let's just, let's just do this. Yeah. They, they did not care what it was about. It's, and actually, Tucker Max kind of talked us out of wanting to do it. What did he say? He, he was like, how long it's going to take? And he was absolutely right. Remember, because we started going through with the process. And they were yeah. like, you need an eight-step plan. There's these, all these editors. The and at the, you, you mentioned that you did this because at the time, you weren't working on as much stuff. We were working on a lot of stuff back then. Yeah. We were very, very busy with other stuff. I mean, I remember talking to Tim before I even started the book. I'm, I'm going to sell a million books, and I'm going to do this book. And, and Tim was like, do you know how hard it is? One, no one sells a million copies. No one. Like, really? Very, look how many books actually sell a million copies. In, in, in a business category, I mean, the ones that have, everyone knows those names, like James Clear, Mark Manson, Tim. Do you know, do you know one that just crossed a million that doesn't make any lists? Miracle Morning? The, the Almanac of Naval. Oh, yeah. That the was- Naval Ravikant Al- Almanac, self-published. So it never made any of the lists. You can't get on the list of a self-published. But that one crossed a million in sales. Yeah, there's some- But that's extremely rare. I, I think those are the stories people like to hear. Yeah. Right? Like that or Miracle, you know, Miracle Morning? Yeah. So two and a half million or something like that. Those aren't necessarily the norm, mm-hmm. but it's also something that where you've written a good book. Coming uh, back on this though, it's definitely harder than I expected. Anyone could write a book, especially with ChatGPT. It's so good now, mm-hmm. right? But to actually make something people want to read and then want to actually take change on and write a review is very hard. And so that's taken, I mean, four years, I think, to get to a point where I believe this will, will do that. Are you going to build like challenges and a community around it or? 
Yeah, we have. So the book has challenges baked in. And the first proposal, so what was interesting in 20, uh, March, I like wrote a proposal. I sent it to Lisa, the, who's now my agent, and she said no. You know this? Mm. And so I wrote this thing called The Challenge, and it was all these challenges you can do to get started in life and business. Hmm. And I said to Lisa, and I was like, here's my proposal. And she's like, this is a, clearly a joke. And when you're serious, let me know. I was like, okay. And I, I, again, one of the things I think about from the book in my life is when you get rejected, it's like, do you want this? Do you want it? And if you don't, fine. But if you do, like the rejection is just a test if you want these things. And so then I worked on the proposal for a year with the, a guy. This is a crazy business opportunity. He's literally a proposal writer. Mm-hmm. And hmm. so he, he used to work in the book publishing industry. And, and if you're starting any business, just think about what you've been paid for and think about, all right, maybe how can I get paid for that again? And so he specialized. His name is David Moldawar. He wrote James Clear's proposal. He wrote my proposal. And what he can do, he basically helps you write the proposal, which is like a very structured format of like, how big is your audience? First full chapter, table of contents, and then market differentiation. Hmm. And so he helped me put that together. I paid him a decent amount, but he could charge a lot more and take a cut of your sales, mm. which he could do very well and that or other people could as well. And uh, then you go and sell it and stuff like that. But it was definitely a very longer process and harder than I realized. I feel like you could have self-published this book with like the marketing proudness you have and also the marketing firepower you have behind you. You could have self-published it, but then it wouldn't have made lists. Uh, the list I don't need because I'm not. Uh, but there's something about the list. The list is definitely like a, going to Harvard. Um I think what's interesting about self-publishing versus traditional, it's kind of like reminding me of like, you ever sign up for a marathon or you sign up for an event and you put your money down? Mm-hmm. Like signing up for the, this is like, okay, well, I'm going to swing for the fences on it. Like I'm going mm-hmm. all in on it. Like it was like, this is, a, I'm going to take it as serious as possible. I think in self-publishing, there, I think that'll be definitely the future, mm-hmm. but it definitely like, okay, if it does, okay, fine. I don't have to take it as serious versus like, I wanted to take myself seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the traditional felt like it forced me to do that. Hmm. And then, um, anything else on the book? No, I mean, we're not talking about the book. I guess what I was curious about personally is what has been your vantage point of watching from the outside over these years? Well, you were actually like behind the scenes. It's very interesting to watch because I think, I think one people think you don't work a lot and I think you give off the impression <laughs> that you don't work. I don't think you, you mean to like, like deceive people, but I think you actually work a lot and you're very good. Like when you, like I, I'm a very distracted person. You're very locked in when you, when you work, like, I don't think you have a problem like focusing. No. You're very good at having like a goal for everything. So, whereas I'm probably more of like a day-to-day doing some work, you kind of have like a North star that you're going for every week, month, year, that kind of thing. So you're very good at that. And then you're also very methodical. When you say like, I want to make a goal, you work backwards to it. The first evidence I ever saw of this, remember with AppSumo, you're like, if we're going to release uh, something about, I don't know, calendars or whatever, who do we all know? Everyone in the company that knows someone in the productivity space. Can we get on there? How big is their audience? And you had like a list and you would highlight those cells and be like, okay, if we get this, 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 this person, we'll hit 100,000 people. Let's say one to 5% buys it. We would make this much money. And I was like, oh, there's like a a logic behind what he's talking about. It's not just like, let's see how many people we can get in front of it. There's like an actual, like some, some math behind it. And I I've seen you do that. Just like, okay, if I want to sell this many books, I go on this audience on average to sell this many books. Maybe I could sell like mid range over there. And then you go through and you're like, that's 11,000 books or whatever I need to hit. So I I always see you do stuff like that. And it's very methodical. I don't think you use anything more than Google spreadsheets usually. No. You, you pretty much exclusively use Most Google spreadsheets, spreadsheets, just a regular old spreadsheet with a bunch of pages on it, like nothing, 
I've never seen you use any really fancy software or anything like that. That's more <laughs> I realize, Chad. Like, realize we run a software deals website. And I do use software, but not most stuff can run on very basic stuff or cheap or free to start, I would say. But I think this is the stuff that's like, it's, it's boring, right? This is the boring stuff we were talking about earlier in the interview of like a lot of the right stuff is very boring. There's no f fancy whiz bang tools, Airtable, nothing like that going on. It's just a freaking no spreadsheet with a couple of numbers. You don't need anything more than that. I mean, that's what I encourage other people to do is like focus on the core. And I think this is what, this is what I was talking with Nick about this morning that people miss out on. People hear me talk about like this kind of kid stuff, or not even kid, but like basic mm -hmm. stuff, like Google Docs, spreadsheets. That's what's built an $80 million a year. Not the, not some fake numbers. It's insane. Like, I'm surprised. Like, yesterday we did 284000 in sales, mm -hmm. promoting software deals. But that started with a PayPal button and Gmail. Mm -hmm. That's how we delivered the codes. Perhaps. Well, also, I, I remember... People miss out on that. Like, yes, you have to want to get big and do all this complicated stuff, but you have to get started and stick with it and evolve that over time, not jump ahead. I also think even like the email list with AppSumo, it's like, it was like, uh, it gets to a million and everyone asks, how do you get to a million? And then on the inside... You watch it and it's just like every single day, everyone's whole job is like, how do we get like a thousand subs more? Or what have we done before that worked really well? And let's do that again. And you do it over and over again until it doesn't work. And then you find something else. And then you keep trying things like that. <laughs> like it's, it's a very boring process. It's I not guess, fun. Well, what's interesting is two, two things. What I was just laughing about how like there's like this appeal of boring businesses or like sexy now, like laundromats. Mm -hmm. I'm like, go run a laundromat. That shit sucks. <laughs> right, like that is, that's not just boring, that is tough and it's gonna be a rough business and it's definitely doable. But I think what I'm really wondering is how do we make boring boring activities, boring successful? Like a success does get boring, mm -hmm. right? Like right now at AppSumo, it's a very, the same thing we did 15 years ago is what we're doing today. Find good product, negotiate a cool price for both of us and you send an email. Like that kinda is what we've done every single day for the last 14 years. And so I, I think what I'm trying to reflect on is like, what are ways that as, as you find something that works, which is fun, it's hard and fun at the same time, mm -hmm. how do you make it easy to stick with those things? Like, how do you watch these same shows over and over? I know that's one of your, your well, superpowers. <laughs> watching the same shows over, no, but it's, I mean, it's like podcasts and stuff like it's that? it's a practice. You know, it's a practice that one, we're not always perfect. So give ourselves grace when we don't be perfect, but also what is it? Because one, I think people are like, I, I don't have discipline. It's like, um, did you it, go it doesn't feel like discipline. Yeah. That's why like, I do it. It feels very easy. It feels natural. So for example, if I'm just winding down for the end of the night, I'll listen to a comedy podcast because it's just bullshit about random stuff. If I'm waking up in the morning feeling a little sluggish, I'll listen to like, I'll listen to your podcast. I'll listen to Sam. I'll listen to like some of my friends that I know because there's also like some connection there, which is kind of fun. I'll listen to them talk about stuff like smart people I know that are smart. And I hear them talking to other people and I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. I also think maybe sometimes... Uh, I like listening to a friend's podcast too, because I ha I know that I know them. There's some, yeah. something extra a little bit there, but it just seems very easy and effortless. And I'm learning while it's fun. Okay, so I, what I heard from you, this feels like I'm in my, back in my therapy. Shout out Dr. Resnick, thank you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, don't, don't tell him to come to me. <laughs> and uh, that's really who he is. So what I'm hearing is find the things where you don't need discipline, find the things where it's never boring for yourself. It's a good point. Well, that's what I heard from you, where it's, you know, for me coming on podcasts, people are like, you have a lot of energy. I'm like, yeah, I fucking love it. Or like talking about the book, talking about AppSumo, I'm like, yeah, that's, that literally could be my day. Or I can go film stuff on YouTube. Now when I have to do a discovery call about a VP of finance hire, that's tough. <laughs> and so I think find these areas and create and craft your weekend or your life or whatever. So you're more in those areas. So, okay. My problem with some of that stuff is like, even if I was required to do this and had to listen to like five podcasts a day, oh, fully two hours, Sorry. it would get hard, 
right? So there is some limit of like how much you like. And then there's some days where I'm not into it. Some days I'll listen to no podcast, right? I think the thing for me, I, I think it's pressure. I think you have to have pressure. I think some people, I think you... Uh, Sam, I think some people have chips on their shoulder. I don't know that I have a chip on my shoulder and yeah. I need a deadline. Uh, th that's what I need. Whenever, when any time of life that I've done like a lot of stuff where I was like, whoa, that was pretty cool. It was because there was a lot of pressure to finish something and that's what made me finish. Otherwise I naturally won't do it. But well, I'm just lazy. Coming, coming back on that, you're not lazy on certain things, right? It's just, and I think that's true for everyone to realize it's like, yes, maybe in some areas you're lazy, but in others you're not. It's, it's just interesting, though, that as something is working in business, how do you find ways to sustain it? Mm. Right. And I think that's the balance of what you like to do and what do people also want to reward you for? Mm -hmm. And then how do you find ways that you can do at least a little bit of both? Like if you only do your thing, no one's going to reward you for it. You're going to burn out. Mm -hmm. And if you only do it for other people, you can burn out. So how do you find it where you're like, there's some people like Jared. Jared's at AppSumo. He's been there seven, six, seven years and he just he gets deals. And he loves it. He seems to love it. He's like, yeah, I love connecting with the people. I love helping the people. I love talking about their families. I love sharing. It's like. Huh. So I don't know. I haven't solved that. But I think the more that you can find, I guess, contentment in the boring, and generally boring means it's working, mm -hmm. or find the people who can do it, uh, there's there's definitely a lot of success in that. Seinfeld says he loves the long, the long Shawshank Redemption slog through the sewer of stand-up comedy. He likes the part where they're just like, hey, you're going to be on in 17 minutes, and you're just waiting in a room. He likes people coming in and out of the room. He likes traveling to a place. He likes packing up a suitcase. He likes that part. And that's why he's been able to sustain it. I was like, oh, he likes the boring stuff. Most people like the fun stuff of like that 30 minutes you're in front of an audience yeah. getting ha ha's, but he likes the boring thing. And I was like, oh, that's why he's been doing it forever. And, and, and even though he is completely, I would say post-economic at this point, he still does like so many tour dates a year. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, he likes the slog. I guess what I, I was thinking of a theory based on my million dollar weekend and things that I'm like kind of observing, talking to people, working on AppSumo. And I, I've noticed there's this pattern of people do like, I think everyone likes starting things, right? Mm -hmm. But we start things and then we, we start things and we don't make sure people want them very shortly. And then we stick with things that aren't working very long. Just stay with them. Mm. So people are doing this and they're like, no one wants this, but I'll stick with it a while. But on the other side, if you could find something people want, that they actually want. Maybe it's a copywriting course. Maybe it's software deals. Maybe it's this book that helps you do the same thing. If you can actually stick with that for a very long time, mm -hmm. that's what I've seen from success, man. It's like, it doesn't come quick. The success can come quick in terms of people wanting something, but the real success comes from sticking with these things. And I don't know, I want to figure out how to crack the code on like, you know, there's law of 100 and some other ideas, but like how to help people enjoy the boring. Enjoy the like, hey, it's working, keep going. Hmm. I, I don't know how to answer that. Is the answer just, always pivoting what because uh, so there's two conflicting sides i've said like mark andreessen always says like pivoting is like important or sorry reed hoffman was the one i said you have to pivot all the time you have to pivot so hard you lose most of your customers that, that was something he said at one point mm -hmm. and it's just like if you haven't really hit the product market fit you'll know whereas you're saying stick with it long and i think both are actually valid once you find product market fit never stop mm. and the problem i i think what i'm trying to think through and what i've noticed is that most problems don't necessarily evolve. Like people probably want more customers for the rest of their lives. People probably want dating mm -hmm. for the rest of their lives. People probably are going to eat theoretically for the rest of their lives. And so, you know, maybe some of the taste buds might change, but that problem will be the same. Mm -hmm. And I, I think with AppSumo where I've gone astray is the problem is software creators need customers. Mm -hmm. That problem's not going to change. So how do we keep evolving on that problem versus moving to new directions? Like, okay, let's do 
email pop-ups for e-commerce stores. Mm-hmm. Like what the hell does that have to do with software creators getting customers? And so I think that's something I've been thinking about. It's like, how do we stay true and keep evolving? Or if we're doing new things, it's still supporting the main core of the business. Hmm. So for you, it's like, really your stuff is like email marketers or freelancers making more money. I don't know. That's my impression. I don't know what you think your core of your business is. I think that's generally it. Yeah. When, when we do office hours and stuff like that, you start to see it's like, this isn't all about copywriting. There's a lot more about smaller businesses making a little bit more money. Mm. Yeah. What about, uh, so speaking of all this kind of stuff, content, content writing, YouTube, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Where are you seeing, well, like what, what's your favorite channel at the moment? I Ooh. assume it's YouTube. Oh, my favorite channel besides no cake. I literally watch a lot of my own videos. And when I don't watch it, <laughs> no, when I don't watch my own stuff, it's like, oh, that's not a good video. And I like being proud. Like this book and my stuff, I think people should be more proud of themselves. Mm. I think people should jerk off to their own photos. Mm. Like you should like who you are. And that's, a, that's a, being on time is a silly thing to realize that like, hey, I can trust myself. Mm-hmm. You always show up on time. But that's a, that's a reinforcement of you doing behavior that makes you feel good about yourself. And mm-hmm. the same thing applies with work. Like when you do work that you're like, that's pretty damn great. That reinforces a value of yourself external of, of needing other people to view it. And so some of the videos we put out, I don't watch. And I'm like, I don't really care if you watch it. But there's other ones where I'm like, even if no one else watches this, I love this video. You know, like the private jet video because it was so scary for me to do. Or interviewing some of these, like John Paul DeJoria was my dream. Mm-hmm. And so those videos I've, I watch. I like it. What about like knocking on doors? Do you watch those? I do watch some of them because I'm proud of myself. Mm-hmm. And I think it's always good to go back in your photos or in your work and see your old work mm-hmm. and realize how far you've come. And also just be like, wow, I'm proud of my, I looked through our old catalog of Switzerland and Monaco and all of New York, all these different, I was like, wow, I'm really proud that I was willing to face fears. So are you sitting in these meetings and they're just like, okay, let's do another knocking on doors. But instead of knocking on doors of houses, let's do yachts or whatever, just whatever, like the most yeah. grabbing. And they're like well, private so, jet, insert that word. Well, so I think for other content creators out there, it's trying, you know, I talk a lot of 100, which is doing a hundred posts. I tried a lot of videos out. I tried copying Graham Stephan. I tried copying like, Here's 10 books. Here's 10 books that'll make it smart this year. You know, mm-hmm. these dumbass things that everyone else is copying, which is fine. Yeah. And it just wasn't really, the amount of work we were putting in wasn't getting the amount of views for the audience. Our audience is always underdogs. Mm-hmm. And so then we tried something different. And this is exactly what I'm talking about, boring, which is, yes, it's boring now to do knocking on doors, but it's also working. Yeah. And so how do you make it interesting? So maybe instead of knocking on doors, go to a jet. Instead of a jet, go to first class passengers. Instead of first class passengers, go to Miami for yachts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's finding the thing that works and then just doing it over and over and over again. And so, yeah, it is, sometimes I, I, I want to, you know, I'm evolving it, but it's like, this works. We're going to just keep doing that type of content. You can look at the channel. I remember we were having this conversation at your house and we watched two videos. One video was you fishing with your friend and you were like, this is the most cherished video. I watch it 50 times. And then, and then one was like knocking, knocking, it was knocking on yachts, like crypto guys with yachts or something yeah. like that. And we watched both of them. And in the end, you were just like going on about this fishing video. And we're all like, no, that video fucking sucks. Yeah, <laughs> like, that was a horrible video. That We were just watching it because it meant something to you. And you were like, uh, all of, and we're just like, what the fuck is this? Let's check in my phone and stuff like that. Then we watched asking people how they got yachts. And I was like, oh, this shit's really interesting. Yeah, it was very interesting. I felt like I learned a lot of stuff. So people will make fun of like, oh, knocking on yachts. I'm like, I know, but I learned like 14 things in that video. Well, I think that's a separate thing about what, content you should create, not mm-hmm. what do you create? So one, you have to have an audience in mind. Mm-hmm. Like, who are you making it for? And ours is always about underdogs on a business journey. But everyone else was doing the sit at a desk here and like, hello, I'm telling you about this. And so 
to teach the same thing, why don't we just do it in a different type of format? So it was like this risk. There's a risk of me getting rejected. Mm -hmm. People also like seeing that I'm willing to take that risk. Mm -hmm. And then they're willing to learn something in a very unique format, like on the streets. I almost think like as the viewer, I don't even take your risk into account. I don't think people realize the rejections. No. Yeah, it's very scary to go to a yacht and you're standing around for two hours. There's no one there. And then you see, the and then you see someone be like, eh, I'm going to ask you how much money you make. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I go home and drink after the <laughs> time because I'm just like so drained emotionally mm -hmm. from the rejection. But as, as someone on the other end, you almost, I, I don't care. Well, I think, yeah, yeah, you don't care. But also the beauty of a lot of work is that once you've done the hard work, it's over. Like after I, you know, my mom always says this line, like work, the, the most important lap in a mile is the last one. Because mm -hmm. after you finish it, it's over. And mm -hmm. You don't really think about it. You know, all these videos, I'm like, always proud after it's over. And, mm -hmm. But it's the fear ahead of these moments that, that it's like, okay, if I can just face it. And when you finally get into it, it's never as bad. But I, I think maybe for other people out there, I really like this new approach content. You asked my favorite videos. It's these uh, body cam, police body cams. Mm -hmm. I'm obsessed. I'm probably watching, no joke, 15 to 20 hours a week of body cams. Of like police body cams? Yeah. Fentanyl bust. Oh. Bust. Shoot at the cop. Cop gets you back. Bang, bang. You, you shot a cop. People are fighting. Airports. UK customs. Oh, man. Like, just so many. And for, it's like, well, what's the relevance here? So the thing that's interesting for me is how do you make content of your day-to-day -day that's interesting for others? Mm -hmm. We're not having to do extra work. Like, these cops are just literally filming. Think about it. This is the thing that's also interesting. They're probably filming, like, 10 trillion hours of film. And, like, very little of it actually is interesting to actually put out. Yeah. But it's cool that they're just doing their normal day to day and they create, they're turning that into content, which frankly kind of makes cops mostly look good. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's like a vlogging, uh, there's a little a vlogging renaissance a few years ago. That was kind of a thing and now it's kind of gone away. There's some, there's, there's vlogging in specific categories. Like right now, I know the other channels, I watch a lot of poker vlogs. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like I'm learning and I get to connect with someone. I think that what I've noticed with my content is you don't connect with me. So that's something we're working on this year. Because my content's like, I don't care about that bald bald guy with the earrings. I care about like this kind of cool video and I'm learning something about those people. And so I think there's certain creators who've done a better job of either your videos maybe don't have millions of views, but the quality of those views, the engagement of those views are a lot higher. So that's something that we're... Well, have you seen the 2024 trend of quitting YouTube? Like a lot of the big creators have like quit. And it's, it's not everyone. It's like a small percentage, but a lot of them have just quit or, or released these quitting videos that are like... This isn't worth it for me. And they all say the same thing because I was just very curious of what they were going to say. And there's some like Leon Hendricks here in town. He, yeah, he, he was good. And I was just like, oh, it's kind of surprising that he would just stop. And he was just like, look, I mean, like some of my videos get 13,000 views, but we spend all this money to make them. And it's just not worth it. And some of them get a million or, or more. Those are worth it. The smaller ones aren't. And most of them don't really hit. Yeah. And that's, that's surprising because all you see is the, the really big ones. And what everyone says at the end, do you know what it is? Mm -mm. I'm going to start podcasting more. That's what they all say at the end. I think there's something there where if everyone's well, so I, one thing I learned from cigarette smoking, <laughs> <laughs> tell me, <laughs> go on, is that there's a big difference between the word stopping and quitting. And so I think it's better to say, hey, I'm stopping. Because I think we put, I, I think for me, I used to feel guilty. So, like in the winter, I do hibernation body where I just get fat. <laughs> so I get polar bear fat. And I'm, I'm just stopping being healthy for a little bit. I'm not quitting forever. And I think in the past I used to quit and then guilt myself and feel bad about this. And Leon's stopping mm -hmm. video because it's not working for him now. And then maybe he'll revisit it. And I think if we don't make it so absolute, I'm quitting this forever and using stopping, it's really evaluating like maybe there is a way to make it work for him. So our videos have fluctuations in it. 
But I try to come back, well, if it gets a million or it gets 50,000, is it still the video that I, I'm proud of and that our, I think our audience wants? Mm-hmm. And I, I think the other comment I would say for people like, oh, podcast is easy. All work is work. <laughs> it's never easier. And I think that's the same thing with Million Dollar Weekend. We talked, all the whole concepts we're talking about, it's working, this channel stuff. But what he's currently doing in this way is not working. And thinking that something else over there is going to be totally easier is just, I don't want to say naive, but I think I, if it works, great. But I'd figure out how do you just make the thing that's working work better for you? But, so maybe do podcast videos. Maybe don't do the videos you're doing or revisit the videos. Like for me, for example, these knocking on doors. Mm-hmm. I get anxiety like two weeks before the video. Mm-hmm. And I don't talk to my girlfriend and I think about it all the time and I'm always afraid. I'm like, oh my God, I don't do this. Aren't, aren't, <laughs> I, aren't I rich? Like, what, who, who am I doing this for? What do I do? And then I'm always like, you're going to be proud of yourself afterwards. You're going to meet cool people afterwards. You're going to always feel good about yourself afterwards. But as I'm doing it over and over, like it's really not sustainable. And I, I think of the 10 year rule for myself. Mm-hmm. I just think, do I, can I, well, I keep wanting to do this within 10 years or is this discouraging me from sticking with it for 10 years? Mm-hmm. And I just come back to that. And it's like knocking on doors or sitting outside an airport for two full days <laughs> is not sustainable. I have a family, I have kids. I want to do those kind of things. It's not something I can do. So how do I adjust it? Not necessarily quit, but adjust it so it is sustainable. All right, well, these billionaire videos are what everyone asks me about on shows. And I like those the most. I don't hmm. have to go and do crazy, stupid shit. I don't have to stand outside of a yacht begging people to talk to me. And it's harder to get these kind of people, which means other can't copy. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll just go deeper into the one area that's really working and go further with that. And so, again, I think it's trying to be mindful of, like, if it's working, keep going. But if it's not working the way you want, like, don't quit it. Just, if, like, adjust it. I think most of the people that are quitting, like the, the five examples I saw, they often do like these big experiments. Like I did X for 30 days. So they're doing 30 days to make like a 10 minute video, which is very hard. Or you spending two days at an airport and then getting like 12 minutes of footage, if even from that kind of thing. And so I think they're all just moving to a smaller team, smaller effort thing. So that's why I podcast, you sit down, you talk, you send it to an editor. Yeah, I guess with the podcast, it feels though, in my impression, it's more competitive. Right? Mm. I can't tell you. I, There's a lot of people. 10, 15 people are like, I'm doing a podcast because it's easier. It's like, well, one, if everyone else is doing it, it's going to be harder to win. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to win? And if everyone's going over there, what can you go over here if they're not doing it anymore? By the way, like a book, not as many people are doing books. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. What else are they not doing that you can then think of that might be an easier way for you to win in this game? Do you write much anymore? <laughs> it's funny. We... We did this, so this is the launch month for the book. Launch month. Launch month. <laughs> so we had 30 days of content for social media, and then mm-hmm. we had, I think, about seven different emails. A weekly email plus five emails for launch week. Mm-hmm. Those were the first emails I've done in maybe a year or two where I've done, like, marketing, mm-hmm. where I actually had to write an email. And I what I came back to was, one, I really enjoyed it, and... It was fun to actually think back to AppSumo days even. How do we create an email where it's so fucking good? I don't care if you buy my book, but you're like, this is an email I'm going to send to someone else. And then mm-hmm. because this is so good, you believe like, okay, I bet the book is that good too. And so we've put together these past few weeks. I've really put the effort into the emails. That, and, I, and they're stories. They're funny. They got little quips. They got images. And I think they're standalone great quality that I've been excited about. 
Well, have you seen this too? There's just like an absence of really good long form on the internet now. I think a lot of like the news sites and stuff, I kind of like graze over, but I used to follow you. That's how I met you through your blog. I used to write like long form articles and I used to, I really loved reading those. I don't know if it's just a nostalgia thing or I think more people are going to start moving towards it. There, there's a trend right now that everyone's starting a newsletter. What is a newsletter? A newsletter is a bunch of small blog posts put together and emailed out. It's a fucking blog. Right? Like, am I wrong here? No, I'm gonna start an RSS reader. People are like, dude, this is crazy. What is this? You can take newsletters and read them all at the same time. RSS I'm like, readers. we're going back to blogs, right? I think there's and, something about that. I think that I think there's something about that, and it's just like that's where a lot of the good stuff comes from. A lot of your a lot of your top ideas were originally blog posts. They all start off as like a script of some sort. Yeah. And I kind of miss. Uh, writing stuff and you know what i actually started doing i kind of fired up like quietly because i don't want to be like i'm announcing it i just kind of started writing on nevblog again no comments no nothing that's how that's how uh, it has been for a while i don't tell anyone about it i just kind of like write on it and it's like my own safe space to to write i don't have to, there's no comments or anything if you post something on twitter you're saying look at me like it respond right that's what twitter is telling yeah. you instead a blog it's like unless you go to my blog you will never see this so I'm not shoving the content down people's face. And it allows me to like write maybe two, three times a day, just a dumb quote. I post a tweet. I don't give a fuck. It's for me. It's only for me. And get this. If I want to post something a little bit private, I don't talk about my personal life too much. Um, I put it as private and then only I see it when I'm logged in. Isn't that interesting that that's the same way that you get success? Is that you're like, I'm doing this thing that I'm curious about and I'm excited about. I don't really care. And maybe some other person likes it. Ideally, you can get someone else to like it. And then you just kind of keep doing it. But eventually you're like, okay, people are watching. Now I'm supposed to have scale. Now I'm supposed to be doing this. But, vir but virtually, most people just follow their curiosity and hobbies can become businesses, but they, I think they lose their kind of... But but, but I think this is kind of interesting. I have Nevblog, which is like the, the private thing or yeah. private public. Yeah. Um, you see a lot of stuff, but there's a lot of stuff you don't see. And then the good stuff that I'm just like, ooh, that'd be actually, actually a good essay. I put that in my newsletter. I put that as a blog or I yeah, put that as a main yeah. lesson or make that into a newsletter. But it's it's just a fountain. Like I just didn't have a place where I could publish stuff online that was yeah. safe. Do you also notice, and this is something I journal on Mondays. I've written The Artist's Way, one of the best books for creatives ever hmm. by Julia Cameron. Never heard of uh, it. Oh, really? I'll give you my copy. Okay, it's go ahead. It's so fire. It's the second book you should read after Million Dollar Weekend. <laughs> <laughs> And so she talks about the morning pages and we have a version of it in our book. Mm -hmm. But what I've noticed is that when you say, Hey, I need to write something today. That's going to be interesting. And you just kind of give yourself carte blanche, like whatever you write. So it's like, damn, I have more ideas than I expected. So yeah. It sounds like what you're doing with yours, which it's like, Hey, I'm just going to write something and by doing that and that making that a muscle and a habit, you're actually coming up with good ideas because you're forcing yourself to practice. Them. But I think the key is like, I could do that on Twitter. I could do that on my main blog, but you have to, I, I could be like, this could be wrong. I don't care. Yeah, I, that's why that's why I like having a private place. Pr private public for me is the best because I think some people are watching. Like I, I know some people are watching. There's obviously traffic to the site, yeah. so that that forces me to be like, well, let, let's keep up the habit, keep going. But I can't get any feedback, so it feels private. There's something about that, well, like, and that's how my blogs used to be. I mean, that's how your Nev blog started, which led to copywriting courses, which led to you know this business that you've built. I think there's another component. Uh, there's two components in there that I'm ex interested in. One is. How do you experiment more without risk that you can then bring into something with risk? Meaning you're experimenting on that blog like doo-doo, <laughs> caca, or like, hey, marketing thing, or hey, I like this post, or hey, I like this thing. And then I bet you every one out of five, one out of 10, one out of 20, probably inspires something you could do in a copyright course. Yeah. And it's the same thing with like Noah Kagan. I can try all this crazy shit because there's no one really that's going to lose their job with doing Noah Kagan stuff. And some of it I'm like, oh shit, like I can do this and bring it into AppSumo. 
Hmm. So I think I like your idea of like you're kind of use experimental ground and then have like your minor leagues and major leagues within your own. Ooh, minor leagues, major leagues. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Business have like your bench. Well, I took, I took, it was funny. I I posted like three times on Nevblog today and then I didn't post before. And it's funny. One of them was just an excerpt from another article I wrote a long time ago at a vague point in the past. And I was like, I like that. And I just posted it. I don't know what's going to come of it, but I'm just like, I started thinking about that concept and I was like, oh, there's something a little bit more there. And I never would have just like stole something from myself and posted it again. But over there I could. And so hence more ideas. Where do you, by the way, this is actually a question I have over here. Where do you come up with ideas? And is it like, I mean, tactical is like Apple notes. Are you just like writing down ideas in your thing or you got a file? For Twitter, I have a shared tweets file mm-hmm. that I just post anything with me and the team. So anything that I'm thinking of, like here's an example from this morning. Language, there's a language of money that everyone can be fluent in. Okay. It's kind of a cool thought, right? doesn't mean it's a final tweet, but Nick, Nick actually said it. He's like, hey, language is something that everyone can speak, the language of making money. Mm-hmm. But you have to be fluent in it. And how do you get fluent? You practice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a cool thought. So I'll put a, that on Twitter, on, on a tweets note that's shared with uh, Sylvie and Jay. And then we'll workshop that. Maybe something will come in, maybe something won't. So that's definitely something right there uh, that we do a lot of. I think a lot of times I try to have categories. People call it content buckets, which mm-hmm. is like, what is the thing I'm known for or known for? Mm-hmm. What are the things I'm known for? And then like, how is it I'm kind of doing being consistent with that types of content? Because I, that's, to some extent, that's what the audience wants from me. Mm-hmm. And that's also generally what I enjoy. And so a lot of times lately, they already know the material in the book. So they're suggesting basically content in these specific areas. Do, you know something weird about social media that I've realized? If you're known for like starting an MVP or whatever, whatever, whatever you're known for, being bald, Jewish, having earrings, things like that. Yeah, <laughs> other things. But if, if you only post about that, that's sometimes a disservice. I used to think like, you know, like someone just sharing their life or whatever. That's not not, not that interesting. But when you post a video of like, you into, yeah, like at a place, I'm just like, I feel like I learned something else. It may not be about like starting an MVP, but there's something about that, like sharing somewhat of a glimpse of a personal, or when you're recording a podcast, I'll look at the background and be like, oh, that's interesting kind of equipment they got there. Or like, what's that little thing? And like, I feel like I learned something from that too. And that is content. And so you don't have to just make videos about like that one thing. Trapped in it. But I think your your question, which is an interesting question is like, where do ideas come from? Mm -hmm. Right. So someone, I asked this guy, Nick, he's the founder of Alinea. I love his restaurant. Mm -hmm. He's a co-founder. And I said, how do you know how to be, how do you have taste? Mm. How do you figure out what taste is? And he's like, well, you have to taste a lot of dishes. That's it. And so what does that mean for content? It means you're probably consuming a lot of different types of content mm-hmm. that are out there. And you're like, oh, this is really interesting. That's really interesting. And then also kind of observing what stuff is working within your own audience. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the best parallels for content creation is TV show creation. So you're a huge, I know, Simpsons fan and Seinfeld fan. Like, Think about how many th- concepts they go through to find one episode. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the bigger thing for others to take away, which is like in our videos, we literally, I don't know, maybe hundreds of ideas and we try to do one. You have a writer's room going on. We have a writer's room. I mean, in Sein- there's that Seinfeld book. I don't know what it's called. Seinfeld. Seinfeldia. They fire the writers over and over again. Yeah. Every what? Every few years. So they get new, fresh ideas. They get the best of them. Fire their ass. Get the new best ideas. And so, mm-hmm. I think there's different ways where you can hire experts and stuff like that. But I think when we find content that we like, and also we know the audience wants. So for us, knocking on doors, billionaires. This year, we feel there's a disconnect in people not knowing who I am. Hmm. So we're going to be doing mostly billionaires and stuff about AppSumo. Because guess what? 
I can talk about it. And there's a lot of unique things there that not other people online can copy. But mm-hmm. they can copy knocking on doors, which they're doing. Mm-hmm. They can, a lot of people are doing that now. Yeah, they can copy being, here's my 10-figure books. But no one, very few operators of $80 million businesses, and I don't mean that arrogantly, but there's very few of them that are actually stupid enough or have time enough or want to actually make content about it. But was, there is something about like the credibility of the person that you're watching. For example, Warren Buffett doesn't have a bunch of dope videos out, but everyone listens to him because he's just like the richest guy in the world, right? Like that is why you listen to him. And even when you're watching on fucking potato camera, you'll still watch what he has to say. You would watch it. I think that's really interesting. I've watched it. Like he has like all these things where he gave a talk at the university of blah, blah, blah in 1982. And you're watching some VHS recording. And I'm like, I'm still watching this because it's him. Do you think people are trying too hard? Like what is different about him than other content? I think he walks the walk, right? You see some people and you're like, I think they might walk the walk, but I have doubts. But then when someone's like actually the real deal, right? Like how do you lead a lot of your videos? I started AppSumo to $80 million a year business. You're like, okay, this is the social proof that I want to hear from. I I don't actually start any of the videos with that. But but it's- But you were were the one. And this is interesting. I think it's important. You started, I never talked about being at Facebook ever. You were the one, and I'm not- But the number 30 at Facebook is a mic drop. It's a mic drop and then it's like number four, mint and blah, blah, blah. And that's something to also think about for ourselves. Like that's not exclusive. I mean, those are exclusive for me, but like what's exclusive for you? Where are you number one? Where- I remember when I did that, I actually was, I was editing a video and I had, it said Noah Kagan. And I was like, well, no one knows who Noah Kagan is. And so I wrote in bullet points, number number 30 at Facebook, number four at mint. And then like, whatever. Uh, I, I think one of the other comments I've got to make, especially cause we did YouTube before any any business people did. YouTube. When it was like a hosting platform. Yeah, and we were yeah. The, probably the top business channel. It, I think it's, <laughs> there was no categories back then. It was like us against cats. But I think what doesn't get talked about, and I'm still exploring, you know, maybe my sequel book, which I don't know if I'll do, is called The AppSumo Way. Mm-hmm. As of now, I don't think I'll ever do this again. <laughs> One's enough, and I've done it. Everything is in this. But I think what I'm trying to figure out is like recognizing consistency of good decisions of very long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Right? You think about what is it about Warren Buffett? Like, really. He just did it over and over. There, how many people have bought? He it? followed the boring advice for a very for long time. Very long time. Tim Ferriss. You have to respect the fact that since 2007, he stayed relevant, mm-hmm. and he's continually helped people. Like the show hit my episode just went out with him, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like my, you know, the farmer knew who this guy is still. Yeah. And so, I think there needs to be more glorification of that mm-hmm. versus like, "Hey, I launched my my solopreneur business and I made a hundred thousand this year, or I've got like a million subs this year." It's like. Show me the people who've done it and they've stayed with it for a long period of time versus like, hey, I did a YouTube channel and I'm quitting after two years. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something I think I'm trying to idolize more in myself and, and I think others out there. How are you trying to just like... I think it's just honoring those people and recognizing like, wow, like the aim, I call it the Eamon principle, right? Just do more what works. Is <laughs> <laughs> he get to take credit for that? No, no, that's old school shit. Yeah. I think it's more of these people like Zuckerberg who I would, I, he's like such a fascinating character because I've worked with him so I know him. But he hasn't really done anything really impressive since 2006. You know, after I left, it was over. <laughs> what has he innovated on? Nothing. Nothing but. No, what has he innovated on? I disagree. The VR stuff and everything. He didn't even make up that. That was, that was Palmer Lucky. Name another one. Sure. But okay. But he did He did really well the boring stuff behind it to make it actually a big deal. He has the most, they had the largest network behind yeah. it. They sell the, that device, the Quest, sells more than all the PlayStations and all the whatever the fucks combined. Totally. So it's just like. Maybe he didn't invent it, but at the same time, it's like he's the one who built it. And so I, I think what I'd honor in him, honor in Tim Ferriss, I would even say with myself for AppSumo, and, and I'm happy, I'm very proud of our size, and I don't need to be a billion-dollar business. I don't need to be anything. I like where it is. It's how do we recognize that and be like, okay, this is cool. How do I keep evolving slowly for very long periods of time? Because 
you see billionaires and most of them don't get rich overnight. They hmm. take very, very long periods of time. And so finding something people actually like and then finding ways that we can all sustain it in enjoyable ways for long periods of time because it does take time for success. Mm-hmm. So that, how do I honor it more? I mean, just keep recognizing it and noticing it. And I think about for myself, like, okay, I feel like quitting, which I, I do. It's a natural feeling like, ah, oh, these YouTube videos, this guy quit. And it's like, okay, well, what is it about? Is it just a moment? And how do I maybe zoom out or have patience? As so what's that guy? Okay. Your guiding star, I think one, you probably have a chip on your shoulder. I think maybe some of that, but then also I think you actually put pressure on yourself. And I don't even know if you know, you do it by like having a team with like a goal. Goal, that you yeah. can't like let down um, or don't want to just like stop it abruptly. I mean, I was telling you about it. I think I like competition more than I realized. I used to say I'm not very competitive. I just hate losing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I used to think, but I, I just like fucking beating. I, you need I, an enemy. I need an enemy. I need to, and I don't want to be, I, I'm tired of being my own enemy. Hmm. You know, where I think even over years where I'm so emo about myself or I'm like, now it's like, cool. Like I'm feeling good at myself. Let's, let's have a competition. Hmm. And, not, and maybe be okay having a competitor. And that was something I realized in, in journaling on Monday where I was like, maybe these other people that I'm mad about, it's it's not a jealousy thing. It's just a competition thing. And I, I, it's a game. What a hmm. fun game. And thank God there's another competitor I can compete with. I remember, I remember Mark Cuban talking about like before Trump was president. I remember him talking about Trump. And he's like, I love pick. They're like, why do you pick on Trump? And why do y'all get in fights all the time? He's like, because he fights back. Ooh, I like it. That's good. He did, because I think I think in reality they'd met and they're like they're both individually like probably like okay in like a setting like this, but online they have these feuds and I think both of the guys like it. Like that's their that's their love language. <laughs> <laughs> have a competitor. That's a that's not a bad one. Yeah, and get it. You know, stop being. It's funny because I guess when the chip's no longer on your shoulder, maybe you have something to improve that there's nothing there. So you need that external thing. Huh? Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I think that what I noticed is I was so bitter to, to feel like I could prove people wrong for so long. Mm-hmm. One, no one cares about you. Right. And then eventually you're like, who am I? Why am I trying to prove these other people so much? Why don't I just think about myself mm. and feel about good about myself. And I think in the past few years, I've just been mindful of that. Mm. And now it's like, okay, well, if I'm not so bitter and angry at others, which by the way, if that works for people, use it. It's not a bad feeling, but now it's like, oh, cool. Like, is there actually fun, positive things I can do and, and also compete in a good, healthy way? So, yeah, I guess I haven't felt, I felt more, I think I'm just feeling fine. Like I'm competing and I'm having fun with it. I don't need to prove anyone else right or wrong again, just myself. You know what I also think? I think like we both bought houses relatively at the same time, or actually you bought this house relatively at the same time. I think we like, like our houses, we chill and stuff like that. I think we're like more chill because of that. Have you noticed? I, I felt like less of a drive when I'm like more comfortable. Um, Whereas when you're young and don't have money or anything like that, you feel more of a drive, I think. I think the two things I've noticed is I actually like having teams around me because there's things I'm just not good at and Mm -hmm. it makes it sustainable. Mm -hmm. Doing video editing or doing a thumbnail or doing that, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Or doing, I don't know, how are we going to produce it? I don't really care. Mm -hmm. But having them with me makes it so much more enjoyable to do the game. Mm -hmm. And so I like that. It's not about letting them down or pressuring them. And a lot of times they have so many better ideas than I do. And I find that just inspiring. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing about business, I don't know if it's complacency because with this book, I have not worked harder in my life. I don't think I've worked harder in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't remember absolutely working very hard in the beginning. Remember I was like goofing off a lot. Yeah, you work hard. I work hard. I do work hard. You do. That, that's why I said at the, the top of this. I was like, I think you work harder than you realize. Yes. That and makes- you're very locked in. You're very focused. We've done so many trips together. We're spending like, a hundred hours together with no break. And I'm just like, you work really hard. Yeah, I'm working hard on it. I think the thing that I, I was talking yesterday and I recognized is that there's a lot of momentum in life in compounded 
compounded returns on business. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is like, you don't realize like for you, like think about all the momentum that's already flying, but to get the momentum early on sometimes does take a little bit. It took a lot. It takes a lot more than we realize, but then once it's going, you're like, oh, this shit's already kind of moving. It's like way easier to keep pushing it and pushing it. It is. I coast a lot now. You you famously know, I, I, there are days where I do literally, absolutely, absolutely nothing. No, I featured in the book. Yeah. (laughs) And that that is true. And and not your version of like, I don't work hard. It's like, I, I don't think I do anything. And there, there are systems in place that keep things going. So of course, I, it, but you're right. Like once you get that ball pushing, but it was very hard in the beginning. I used to, I think I used to work a ton when I was like you're in college. Right. I, I was working all the time. We also enjoyed writing. I remember you'd be like, I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm writing stuff. Like, oh, it'd be 3, 3 a.m. in a dark WeWork when they, they turn off all the lights and it'd just be like my computer glowing, just, just writing. And I loved it. It was like my, my favorite part. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I think that's great. I think there's different times for different things. Like if you're single or if you don't have money and you want to get it going, like put in the fucking hours. Like there's a lot of hours available to do it. There's that Rage Against the Machine song, Freedom. And that one part, he goes, anger is a gift. And I always remember that line. It's like, anger is a gift. And like a- anger or frustration is a gift. I kind of like, kind of random tangent. I think when like young people, like they get really into like weed or other drugs and psychedelics and stuff, I think they mask a lot of that anger. I'm just like, no, you have to use that anger. You're supposed to be an angry young man that works really hard to get out of that situation that you don't like. Yeah. And it's just like, sometimes people oh, yeah. mask it too much. And I'm like, dude, that's the worst thing you can do. It's just gonna, you're just gonna kick that can down the road and then you get fucked when you're uh, older. Yeah, I mean, you know, Crypto Joe, mm-hmm. shout out Unchained.com. And I remember being with him and just really in the past few years of being friends, it's like, if I'm feeling something, most friends are like, oh, you're sad, no, oh my God. Don't be sad. Joe's like, okay, great. You're sad. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> and I was like, what, Joe? Oh, you're, yeah, stay sad, dude. Stay, enjoy it. Feel that feeling. Like, what a, what a gift you're having that feeling, I guess, as you would call it. And I think that's something I try to be mindful of myself or others. Don't rob them of that feeling. doesn't mean it's forever, but be like, hey, you're feeling sad? Okay. Like, you know, my girlfriend's pregnant. And then reading these books, and it's actually weird. I read these, like, baby books and baby apps that recommend stuff. And it's like, when she's feeling pain, you know, what do you most say to people? Oh my God, you're feeling pain. I hope you feel better, right? Like, I hope you feel better. Be like, instead, just acknowledge they're feeling pain. Like, yeah, you're feeling pain. That must be painful. <laughs> and I don't know, there's something interesting where she feels like she likes You're like, it. I'm going to go record a podcast. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but that is, that is very like, use that to your advantage and, and let, let that pain hit you. You're supposed to let it hit you I like a train. Let the pain hit you and let the motivation hit you. Yeah. The motivation can be can fade and come and go and, and be okay that it does happen. But also when you're like jiving and you're like, dude, I'm this is like in my zone right now, like ride it. Like go all the way. I mean, for I don't know how it's hard to do it's hard to do sprints and marathons for a long time. So I don't think it's sustainable. But if you're in a, a zone where it's like, holy shit, something's happening, like I would take full advantage of it. Do, do you ever wake up at night? Do you wake up during the night? Uh yesterday. Woke up at four. No. What four? Just cause? Uh, I think I was just anxious and jealous and I was just kind of like tired from all the things going on. So what did you do to go back to sleep? I went and checked the time because I don't have a clock in my room or the phone. So I walked around, took a piss. It was 4.28 a.m. I was like, I need more hours of sleep. And then I just went back and read a book and then books put me to sleep. And then I got up again at 7.30. I don't know who I heard it from, but I really like this approach where it's, if you wake up and you're actually just awake, just go for it. Yeah. And and so I got back up at 7.30 and I was like, I want to be in bed. I want to sleep. And I'm like, I'm just not tired. And I, I, in the past, and when you hear a lot of shows, it's like, what's a morning routine of someone else? Like Peter Thiel is a, a slob. <laughs> <laughs> if Peter Thiel could be so monetarily successful, whether people like him or not, then don't worry about your morning routine, but just be okay with whatever you need in that moment. And for me, it's like, I'm amped to go, go work. 
I got a lot of stuff I really need to do and want to do right now. So at 7.30, I just went upstairs and started just sending out emails, following up with the book and all this kind of stuff because I was in the zone for it. It's I, I forgot who it is. I think it's Neil Neil Strauss who was talking about when he's writing books. If he's in the zone, he will cancel plans. He will do everything in his power to not break that. And it's it's so right. I just noticed these times where you're just like, you get a billion ideas. One day, your Apple notes is blown up seven pages long. That. And then other times you sit down to do it and you're like, what's wrong? Like, why isn't it coming? And I have coffee. I feel fine. I slept enough. What the fuck's happening? And there's just something about it. Like it just all comes at one point. It just, it just it, it's not linear. It's all just like wonky. It's very, it, you know, inspiration isn't on demand. It can ha- be helped. It can be helped, but it's not always. Yeah, I remember, I don't know if it's from Work Rules by Laszlo Bach, which is like a Google book. Pretty good about the organization. But I don't know if it's from him because that book is good, but organizations. But basically had this concept where we stop meetings on time. And, it, and his point is like, you stop meetings that are great too short and you have meetings that are too long. Mm-hmm. You let them keep going. And so like yesterday, we're having this really good meeting about um, hiring someone. And it was, we were at time. And I was like, no, fuck that other meeting. So we canceled the other meeting, or I think we pushed it back 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And we finished the thing that was like really, really, really highly important. Mm-hmm. And then we got into this other meeting, which we had a break. So we get into this other meeting. And I look at around everyone in the meeting, and everyone's like, I'm like, well, fuck this meeting too then. We're going to cancel this one right now. <laughs> right? And so it was actually a really nice moment of what do we really need and what's what do we need in this moment? Hmm. And so that was cool to, to to extend the one that was working and mattered, gave us a, and I added a break. And then when I got to the other one, I felt actually felt like a really good leader. Because I was like, y'all look tired. I'm tired. There's nothing to talk about. Let's just save it for two weeks. Well, that's like that's like going to class and your teacher's like, canceled recess. Everyone's going to love that person. <laughs> no, I, I think most people have their own internal drive. I think people expect to show up and they're like, okay. But I think when you realize you can change some of the rules based on what you want to yeah. do and what you need. You have everyone. So we do we do like a consulting call or something. And and some there's been occasions, very few, that someone's just not prepared. And they're like, you know what? Something happened, blah, 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 whatever excuse. And it's like, let's do this another time. What's the point of continuing this if we're just going to do some bullshit thing? Like, I'm going to feel bad. You're going to feel bad. Yeah, you did waste my time here a little bit. And I make them feel bad because I want them to know. But but those times are just like, let's reconvene where we're ready again. And it's so much better rather than trying to like pull teeth and like do this hour. But there's that like counterexample. Everything in life, there's it could be it could be was it am, not ambiguous, but there's a duality of life. It could be two. It could be both in the same scenario. Where at the same time, have you ever been like, I don't want to go to the gym, and then you go to the gym all the time, and then you're like, damn, I'm glad I went to the gym. Yeah. So it can be also other times where you justify things working out, and you are happy that you showed up for this stuff. So it's that's not, true. There's not, there's not black and white answers. In I hate that everything has two answers. Why isn't everything everyone? There should just be one answer. I wish. Well, I, there's, I mean, that's also what makes life interesting, I guess, right? Like we can have different options of how this goes. And yeah. I think what happens online, which is problematic, is there's these people that are saying this is the answer. Mm-hmm. This is the way to live. This, like all these people that follow like Jordan Peters, this is how to be a man. Mm-hmm. And I think the beauty of life is like taking in these different inputs and then figuring out your own path from it. Mm-hmm. And that's what's cool online nowadays is that you can have, you can see so many most of them can be fake, but you can see so many different cool lifestyles. Mm-hmm. Like, holy shit, I can like live abroad or I can like have my own business or I can have a jet. You can have whatever the fuck you want. And I don't know if that always felt as accessible as it does today. Uh, at least for me, it feels like people were like, wow, you could be in Ireland, like Patty Galloway, who we were talking mm-hmm. about, and now make a lot of money doing videos for Red Bull. Mm-hmm. Like that guy was in a small ass town in North Ireland. Yeah, that would have been possible 30 years ago. Not at all. No. Interesting. Where can people find you? You know, (laughs) you showed up at my house.